Hi, my name is Natalie Orofuchi, and I'm delighted to welcome you to listen along to the Women in Scripture podcast. This podcast has been inspired by the God Who Speaks campaign. I will be inviting lots of different women to come and speak about the women in the Bible who inspire them and who speak to their hearts today. And for this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Sister Anna O'Connor to speak to us. So Sister Anna, do you want to just give yourself a little brief introduction, please, for the listeners? Uh, Right. Hello, everybody. It's good to be invited to talk about my model for today, my model on my life, in fact, but it's changed over the years, is Mary. And um, my name, I suppose, is Anna Marie. So I have the mother of God and Mary as names. I'm a sister of Charity of St. Paul here in Selly Park in Birmingham. And yeah, I think that's enough about me. I'm just on the journey with everybody else. Well, that's great. And I'm very, very excited that you've chosen Mary. So why why have you chosen Mary? What's so attractive about Mary to you, Sister Anna? Um, she is the supreme model for me today, for everyone, I think. The Blessed Virgin Mary has an important part in the life of every Christian. Mary is preeminent example of one who hears the word of God and responds fully. She accompanied Jesus from his conception in her womb until his death on the cross and after. Her response was not something that happened in an instant. Faith, like biology, is messy and relies on processes that have a number of distinct organic moments. Like Mary, we all need to follow the Holy Spirit to bring the words to birth within us. Mary was the mother of God. She was the Virgin Mary, but above all, she was a human woman with the feelings, doubts, and needs of women and men today. She has always sided with the poor and the downtrodden, from Hannah to Nock. She has chosen humble people to be with. Popular portrayals of Mary have suggested that she had some special equilibrium, some particular protective mechanism surrounding her as mother of God. There is no scriptural basis for this. In fact, the opposite is the case. If we were presented with a biography of a woman who at the age of 14 placed her life at risk in order to protect her son from death, who later encouraged and facilitated her son in preaching a radical message to which she herself subscribed and who was there suffering with him through every moment of his torture and execution as a subversive. We would describe her as a person of courage, conviction and strength, a feisty woman, we would say. This is the biblical Mary, the Mary of the 21st century. Key to this biblical Mary role model for discipleship for every Christian are two main texts. One, the account of the Annunciation, where despite her portrayal in much Western art, anachronistically saying her rosary, the Blessed Virgin Mary is revealed as a very young woman who nonetheless embraces God's call, though in a way she was writing a blank check to God, not knowing at least not knowing fully what it would mean. 
God's call through the angel is for Mary to hand over her life, her body, to the God who created all things so that all life might be recreated and reconciled in God's Son, Jesus Christ. The spirit who brooded like a mother over the waters of creation brooded over Mary and gave her the gift of motherhood, of conceiving the embodiment of God's extravagant love. This cannot have been easy for a young woman not yet married. And yet Mary's response to God is one of overwhelming trust in the God she knows and whom her people have known from the beginning. Mary's yes to God is a powerful and brave statement which brings Mary both joy and deep sorrow and suffering so that God's eternal life can be shared by all. So we as Catholics and Christians are asked to hand over our lives, our bodies, all that we have, so that we too may embody God's love in the world by the grace of the Holy Spirit. We may be transformed communally into the body of Christ. Mary's embracing of God's call reminds me of the Sushipe, this prayer by St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and possess. Thou hast given to me all. To thee, O Lord, I return it. All is thine. Dispose of it wholly according to thy will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. This is God. This response to God's call, like Mary's, is a demanding one, not to be taken lightly, but one which brings transformation to the world and to ourselves, because God invites us not to an easy time, but a sharing in the life of God in the Blessed Trinity. And that life is shot through with a sense of God's love and the joy of God's presence with us. Many of the insights into this brave and strong Mary who embraces God's will come to us from theologians of the global south. Theologians who are aware of the presence of Jesus and Mary accompanying them on what is often called a journey of suffering. The late Father Tissa Balasira of Sri Lanka wrote of Mary. Mary participates in the redemptive action of Jesus by sharing his life and his risks and eventually arrest, torture and death. She too is not neutral in relation to social injustice and discrimination as the Magnificat indicates. She more than anyone else would have understood the liberating message of Jesus. Her whole life with Jesus from Bethlehem to Calvary was one of the marginalized. Her own way of the cross could be understood in relation to the suffering of the poor and especially of the women of today. She is co-redemptrix of humanity in intimately sharing with Jesus in his life mission and message and in the life of the early church. The second biblical text, which I think is in many ways the key to our whole understanding of Mary, is the Magnificat, and to which Balasuria refers. For those of us who are brought up to see Mary as a submissive figure 
meek and mild, Mary's song can be a shock. It's a proclamation which many scholars see as the first proclamation of the gospel in Luke's gospel and as a forerunner of Jesus used in Isaiah. This Mary, heard into speech by her cousin Elizabeth, is a prophet from whose mouth, echoing Hannah's song, emerge words that declare that God is turning the values of the world upside down. These words are wholly compatible with the prophetic tradition of the Hebrew scriptures, but they pull no punches about who is first under the reign of God that Jesus teaches and embodies. Strengthened by the Holy Spirit, this young woman gives us a foretaste of what Jesus stands for, the immense love of God found in justice for the poor and marginalized. It is for this Mary sees her son die the death of a subversive and remains with him till the end. And it is also for this reason that in Latin America and parts of Southeast Asia, mothers of children who have been disappeared and tortured for protesting at corruption, injustice and often tyranny. They have protested outside government offices, taking with them statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary. These women have felt Mary's solidarity with them as a mother whose son has also been tortured and killed for offering a vision of justice in accordance with God's steadfast love. Instead of what Brazilian theologian Marcela Athos Reed has called the Mary of a conservative tradition, a rich white woman who cannot walk because her statues often have no legs, the Mary of the Magnificat is being recognized as a peasant woman who sits with other peasant women, but who more than that galvanizes and empowers women and men to stand up for themselves and for justice. It is this reading of who Mary is through the lens of the Magnificat that has liberated Mary and has liberated us, women and men, through the model of discipleship par excellence that Mary provides for us. And it is in the light of the Magnificus that writers like Elizabeth Johnson have thrown an enriching light upon her. So Elizabeth Johnson's book that I read recently called Truly Our Sister uh, is about the most celebrated woman in the Christian tradition, Mary. She is commemorated the world over in famous paintings icons, prayers, and sacred music. Countless hospitals, schools, and churches are named after her. Johnson respects the church's long tradition of venerating Mary and works hard to connect that tradition to today. What do we say in our time in this multicultural world? In this generation, who is she? And how can we carry forward tradition in a way that is liberating and healing in a world so much in need? In the church's early centuries, Mary, mother of Emmanuel, God with us, was quickly honored as mother of God, Theotokos, God bearer, literally heavy with God. At the same time, the church was growing rapidly among a pagan people accustomed to worshipping God in feminine metaphor as well as masculine. It didn't take long for new Christians to apply feminine divine imagery to Mary. 
and the rest is history. Christians baptize pagan imagery. It is a good missionary strategy, says Johnson. But in the end, we lost sight of the historical person, Mary of Nazareth, a poor, devout Jewish woman from the small town of Nazareth in Galilee, who suffered under Roman oppression. Her son was first tortured and then executed by a brutal political regime at the behest of the religious leaders who controlled the populace. Today, Johnson pleads, we should let God have her own maternal face and points to the diversity of imagery in the Bible. It is time, she says, to free Mary from the historic burden of carrying the feminine divine <clears throat> and let her be herself and rejoin us in the communion of saints. I agree with Johnson, but will confess to a bit of nostalgia for my own youthful impressions of Mary as a powerful carrier of the divine feminine, though I would never have named her as such then, which is why I'm very grateful for Elizabeth Johnson's fidelity to our long tradition of honouring Mary while working to find new biblically-based interpretations more suited to contemporary life. She says, we must look anew at the historical Mary of Nazareth as someone who saw political violence, economic poverty, and cultural disenfranchisements, and nobody on the world stage. It was this nobody that God approached to be the mother of the Messiah, and her wholehearted response brought forth Jesus, whose liberating faithfulness until death was first shaped by his mother. In the midst of poverty, faith, and deprivation, Mary's Magnificus, the longest discourse by any woman in the New Testament, echoes her prophetic forebears, Miriam and Hannah, in praising a God who casts the mighty from their thrones and raises up the lowly. Small wonder that today's marginalized and exploited peoples, foremost among whom are women, experience blessing and hope in Mary's hymn. Today we can relate to Mary as marginalized women, unwed mother, refugee woman with child, mother of a political prisoner, widowed mother, mother of an executed criminal, breaker of bondage, and seeker of sanctuary. Unjust structures in the church or in society are not corrected without first confronting the religious thinking that blesses exclusion of the marginalized as the design of God. New understandings can help present present day believers take heart in the struggles to follow the way of Jesus in proclaiming a God who raises up the lowly and in whose image both men and women are made. In Johnson's words, we now see Mary as our sister in faith who reveals to women their own real resources, who is a real woman with much to contend with, gave herself to her life and to her God in her own time and place and way. She is one of the cloud of witnesses found in Hebrews, whose story encourages our faith. So in conclusion, this is the Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the human feisty woman, the mother of God, who inspires me and countless others on the journey of Christian discipleship. 
I can truly pray to her and with her as a sister and as someone who invites me and helps me to respond to the challenges to journey with her son along the pilgrim way to our heavenly home. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us and help us to act justly, love tenderly and walk humbly with our God. Wow. Thank you so much, Sister Anna, that you really um, will give a deep insight into your understanding of who Mary is and how we should all come to appreciate who Mary is, why she is attractive to all people and, and especially women. And she still has so much, as you say, to tell us today in her perfect response to God's calling on her life. And like you say, sometimes she's seen of these floaty images with with no legs but she was a bold and strong young woman who responded to the call of God and suffered greatly for that throughout her life because seeing your son tortured in front of your eyes would not be easy no matter who you were and it must have been absolutely excruciating so thank you so much I really appreciate your insights And I hope that everybody who's listened will take some time to go and look up the Magnificat from Luke's Gospel and take some time to ponder those words, to pray with those words and think about your new understanding of Mary after listening to Sister Anna. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to the Women in Scripture podcast with me, Nasli Orofici. If you would like to have some extra reading and resources, then go to the Archdiocese of Birmingham website and look at the Women in Scripture podcast page. To enjoy hearing more of the Women in Scripture podcast, then please do subscribe to the podcast on either Spotify, iTunes or SoundCloud. I hope you can join us next time. Thank you.